Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Content warning. Check the show notes for more information. It's June 3rd, 1968, and another remarkable event is about to be uncovered by Arian, Rebecca, and Ali, the Retrospectors. So it was on this day that pop artist Andy Warhol was shot and almost killed by the author and self-proclaimed radical feminist Valerie Solanas. What a way to start an entertainment show. <laughs> I know, right? yeah, it's pretty grim. Yeah. That's a fun fact, isn't it? The entertaining news is that he survived the attack. He did. But he did live with both the physical and the psychological effects of the attack for the rest of his life. I'm going to stop you. Had you, Rebecca, heard of this attack. I've since learned that there's like a film about this called I Shot Andy Warhol, but when I think of Andy Warhol, I think of Baked Beans and Marilyn Monroe and this thing (laughs) hadn't actually entered my consciousness. (laughs) Yeah, I I had heard of it. Do you know why? Is that it's sometimes brought up in the, you're familiar with the manosphere, you know, the anti-feminist a little bit, mm. but obviously I'm just very wary because everything feels like a pun on my surname. I just try not to engage. <laughs> not that manosphere. <laughs> this incident gets brought up sometimes an example of like, this is what radical feminists are like. Because she wrote the Scum Manifesto, which you may have heard of. It stands for the Society for Cutting Up Men. A lot of people have since said, oh, it's meant to be a pastiche. It's meant to be satire. But during her lifetime, she said, no, it's not meant to be satire. I do think women should overthrow society and eradicate men. I went back and had a look at the Scum Manifesto. And it really is hard to tell whether she was serious or not. But the first paragraph, at least, is pretty compelling. It starts, Life in this society being at best an utter bore and no aspect of society being at all relevant to women. So far, Jane Austen, isn't it? Yeah. (laughs) Well, maybe that's just your delivery. (laughs) It's just such a big, long, suspended sentence that you can't help but deliver it that way. (laughs) It is said that a woman's best opportunity in life is to marry. No? But it does go on in that mode. She goes, there remains to civic-minded, responsible, thrill-seeking females only to overthrow the government, eliminate the money system, institute complete automation, and destroy the male sex. I think that's a cracking beginning. Um, It is quite good. (laughs) Though by the end, and then I must admit I sort of skipped to the end. That's such a man thing to do, Arian. Just read the first paragraph and skip to the end. No woman would do that. Well, this is, how it, this is how it ends. The last paragraph reads, The sick, irrational men, those who attempt to defend themselves against their disgustingness, when they see scum barreling down at them, will cling in terror to Big Mama with her big bouncy boobies. But boobies won't protect them against scum. Big Mama will cling to Big Daddy, who will be sitting in the corner, shitting in his forceful dynamic pants. I mean, the it's end. funny. It is funny, though, isn't it? It's, that's, the way that you delivered that then sounded like something Nicole Scherzinger would deliver as a, a put-down on a talent show. <laughs> <laughs> Just like a bit wacky, but basically like we're all on the same page, you know, whereas I, I guess that was her problem, wasn't it? She'd, she'd created um, a persona which people didn't know whether to take seriously or not. And as you were saying, Rebecca, they should have taken deadly seriously because she was a paranoid schizophrenic who was genuinely intent on killing men. She's kind of sits at that intersection where 
your politics become so radical that people don't notice that you have an untreated mental illness, basically. Mm -hmm. She had like quite a rough background. She said that she was abused as a child. She moved to New York and lived on the streets. She did sex work. So she'd had kind of this very rough and tumble existence. And also had had two children by the age of 15. I don't know with who, whether that was the result of sexual abuse or whether it was seemingly consensual. But the point is, legally, that would count as rape anyway. So it's not a surprise, is it, that she hated men? She went to college and came out as a lesbian, which in the 1950s was not something that many people did openly. When she moved to New York, she became sort of tangentially involved with The Factory, which was Andy Warhol's famous studio. And at this time, it had a very kind of open door, you know, free-spirited policy. So she sort of became tangentially involved with them. But then the reason that the assassination came about wasn't part of this sort of broad scum manifesto, but rather a very specific thing, which was that she had written this play that was called Up Your Ass, and she gave the script to Andy Warhol, and he evidently wasn't quite sure what to make of it or just completely disregarded it, but he said that it was lost or misplaced. And she then got very concerned that he was trying to steal it and he was going to mount the play or do something with it that somehow excluded her. And it was her concern about this play that on the day of the assassination attempt, she had gone to Lee Strasberg, this famous actor's teacher, and she had tried to give him a copy of Up Your Ass um, and... <laughs> Uh, he wasn't in to take it. But she then went to visit this producer, a woman called Margot Faden, and she spent four hours talking to this woman and saying, I want you to produce this play, you have to. And Faden was like, I'm, I'm really not going to. But she ended that exchange going, you will produce this play because I'm going to be known as the woman who shot Andy Warhol. She went straight from there to the factory and waited for Andy Warhol to turn up. And when he eventually did, she shot him, true to her word. She was sentenced to three years, so she'd already served one. She came out and she got right back on to stalking and harassing Andy Warhol, mm. who was incredibly mentally shaken. A lot of people said he was never the same again. Yeah, that must have been terrifying for him. He was literally wearing like mm. a surgical corset for the rest mm. of his life, wasn't he, to hold his innards in after she'd mm. shot him. Yeah, and, and his injuries then underpinned his death, or at least the phobia that he developed partially through having had this hospital experience that he then didn't want to go back to hospital and the thing that ultimately killed him was something that he should have sought treatment for far earlier than he did. So, yeah, there's a sort of connection to his, yeah, slightly young death as well. There is something, you know, which we were hinting at yesterday when we were talking about the Battle of Santiago. There's just something naturally interesting about someone who did something that twisted that does put their name into infamy which is beyond what she deserves and it, it's hard in her case because you don't know what she would have deserved because people still do study her book mm. in gender studies courses because obviously she had a contribution to a quite fringe part of a movement but a movement that has since gathered quite a lot of pace i.e feminism so it's tricky isn't it like it's a bit like with um mark chapman isn't it like i've, I've downloaded but not yet watched an entire documentary about mark chapman and that's just because he shot John Lennon. Like, there's no other reason mm. that I would ever have downloaded that. It's dispiriting, but it kind of works. Like, if you do something that obviously unhinged, it is something that will cement your name in the record books. 
Yeah, and it, it did start this debate within feminism that kind of launched radical feminism. Obviously, the very small minority of feminists ever read the Scum Manifesto and thought, yes, absolutely, let's do that. But it was, you know, the tone she took and her kind of strident way of phrasing truths about society really did inspire other feminists to kind of speak out with the same forthright way, although obviously in a less deranged way. Yeah, because like reading bits of it, it is a bit like the sort of spicy bits of Germaine Greer, actually, reading mm. bits of it. That's what it reminded me of. It's an interesting example as well of you know you can't discount what people have to say because they have mental illness but this is obviously one case where they're kind of inseparable from each other Mm. like she had a really strong kind of case to make she had really interesting spicy things to say but at the same time it was obviously woven into her paranoid schizophrenia and so it did have horrifying real life consequences. I think the flip side of it that's really interesting is the way that Andy Warhol himself was such a sort of focal point for other people's creations and the creation of other people. You know, it's obviously very famous that he created Basquet, but his works that he made himself were often produced by other hands. And he is often described as this really sort of vanilla or background kind of a character. And I found this fascinating quote from David Bowie, who said, Lou Reed described him most profoundly when he once told me that they should bring out a doll of Andy Warhol to the market, a doll that you wind up and it doesn't do anything. I think that's sort of that's that's kind of a fascinating indictment of of Andy Warhol's quiet. I mean, he's he's obviously a savvy guy, but his quiet persona that that was surrounded by the the sort of madness and creativity of the factory, which was a great idea of his creation. Yeah, so that's the thing. Place. He literally invited these people in, didn't he? That was the yeah, point: was to give him yeah. some dynamism. Totally. And some of them went on to do really interesting things in the Velvet Underground and launched all of this interesting stuff. But then there were these fringe characters, who, some of whom had a sort of, uh, you know, an edge to them. After the assassination attempt, everything had to change. They had to bring in security at the factory and things were just basically never the same again. It kind of killed that vibe of, you know, all these characters walking in off the street and, mm. oh, maybe we can make some of them into stars, etc. Like, you know, that couldn't happen anymore. All he had to do was stage up your ass would have been different. <laughs> it is like a parody of a radical feminist yeah, play, right? <laughs> Tomorrow. It would have been hard to do the ding, ding, ding. But nobody was interested in the axle no, just in the ding, ding, just ding. Just in ding. the ding, ding, ding. Love the show? Support the show. Patreon.com slash retrospectors. Part of the ACAST Creator Network.